God designs some truths to unfold and grab a hold of us as we are ready for them. And I tell this to my kids all the time because, you know, I'll be lecturing them in a really kind and loving way. And you can tell the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know what I mean? And I'll say, I'll at some point say, okay, you know, I'm not really getting anywhere here. So I want you to file this away for later because there will be a point in your life where what I'm saying is crucially true. And even if it doesn't feel true right now, it will be true in the future. So, so file it away and then pull it out for a rainy day. And I think God does that too. And the reality is, is that, that most of us don't actually come to Jesus. It's not a direct route to Jesus. Everything that we talk about, you've heard before. You've, you're not ever hearing anything new. We come back to Jesus. Because we get in a situation in life, we have kids, something happens, something devastating happens, something good happens, and we realize, whoa, I really need Jesus. Uh, we come back to Jesus. There's this wonderful story in John chapter 8 where the woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's dragged before a bunch of guys, and they're all very judgmental, and they're so judgmental, they're going to throw rocks at her until she's dead. So they've all picked up rocks to throw at her, and Jesus says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And this wonderful detail in the story tells us who were the first ones to drop their rock and leave. It was the older people, because older people are smarter than younger people. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> no, older people are not smarter than younger people. <clears throat> it's one of the things I'm learning as I get older. We're not smarter just by virtue of more time. We've had chances to grab these lessons that God is trying to teach us all the time. And these old guys were like, hey, wait a second, without sin, oh my goodness, I can think of a long list of sins. I better not be the first one to cast a stone. And then they walk away oldest to youngest. So most of the time we don't come to Jesus, we come back to Jesus. And so guess what? Today could be that day for you. It could. Today could be the day that you come back to Jesus. Today could be the day that some truth that God has been trying to drive through to your heart actually gets there. Today could be the day that something that I say or a scripture or just a thought that the Holy Spirit implants in your head, it finally gets figured out. Today could be the day that you listen to the sermon and you don't scroll on Instagram. Today could be the day that you're not daydreaming about what's for lunch. Today could be that day. I'm literally praying that God would take this moment and this would be the moment for some of you that you would come back to Jesus. And you're like, but I never left. But your, your connection to him hasn't been strong. It's not been good. Your spiritual life hasn't been solid. Your prayer life hasn't been good. Your reading the Bible life, it's non-existent, you know. And you know it. Today could be that day. But you know the story, right? There's a, there's a census, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's a donkey, there's a birth, there's a manger, there's a field, there's shepherds, there's an angel. I mean, you talk about a gender reveal worth remembering. Mary and Joseph got a real live angel to show up on the scene. And then God, for the grand finale, there was this huge bright light and the heavenly hosts declared that peace Shalom had come to earth. Wow, what a moment that would have been. That would have been so, that, so amazing to be able to see. It would have been epic. But we've been saying this every week. The English word peace fails to capture the fullness of the Hebrew idea of shalom. I got a 
quick poll for you here in the room. My wife and I have a little minor dispute about a technical definition of a term. I believe the sunset is when the sun des descends below the horizon. That's the sunset. And if you were to watch the sunset, you would be able to catch a glimpse of the sun descending below the horizon. My wife believes the sunset is just the whole rigmarole around the whole thing. And whether or not you see the sun descending below the horizon, you're still seeing the sunset if you see the colors and you see all that. So how many of you think that uh, I'm right and it is watching the sun descend below the horizon? How many of you are going to agree with Kareen no matter what, just because it's me? <laughs> yeah, I figured there would be, uh, we would split the room a little bit. A few years ago on a little family trip, I thought, I want to create a moment of shalom. I want to manufacture a moment of shalom. I want to force a moment of shalom on my family so we will have this memory to last us forever. And so I looked up on Google and I said, best place to watch the sunset in this town that we were in. Found it found exactly when the sun would descend below the horizon based, you know, on the time, the, where the equator and all that is. And I thought, we've got to get to this point. And so we parked and there was about a mile and a half walk to the end of this peninsula where we could watch a perfect vision of the sun setting over this beautiful lake. But my family was not as enraptured with catching the sunset as I was, and so I started to get a little agitated with them, and I started hurrying on ahead to try to get there before the sun would descend below the horizon. And I got a little bit more worked up, a little bit more worked up, and I finally started, you know, like lightly jogging, and the rest of them were like, we're not doing that. And I had Liam with me, and I was trying to drag him along, and it descended into one of those moments of chaos where nobody's happy, everybody's tense. They decided to stop eventually and just watch the sunset from where they were, and I was at the end of the peninsula, by I, my lonesome self, trying to enjoy this moment of shalom that nobody would share with me. I tried to force it. It wouldn't happen. And for the last few years, we've been debating on what the definition of a sunset is. She'll send me a picture every once in a while. Patrick, is this a sunset or a sunsetting? And I'm like, yeah. Shalom. You can't manufacture it. You can't force it. The more you try to force it, the less you have it. It must be enjoyed as a gift from the Prince of Shalom. I've been just so overwhelmed by how many people I've seen using the language of Shalom and the, 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 the framework of Shalom. People signing off emails with Shalom. I love it. People greeting one another with Shalom. Shalom, if it existed, uh, it would put every news organization out of business immediately. There'd be no breaking news. Have you ever got a breaking news alert that said, hey, this just in, everything is as it should be? It just never would happen. Every news organization would go bankrupt immediately because there would be nothing to report because all the news is is things that are anti-shalom. Public schools wouldn't need metal detectors if shalom were to be in the world. Shalom would mean you wouldn't have to take off your shoes to get on a plane. Shalom would mean that there was no one missing from your Christmas dinner this year through a broken relationship or through a death. Shalom would just mean everything was as it should be. And the heavenly hosts at the birth of Jesus declared shalom is here. Shalom is here. And so for the last several weeks, we've been talking about what that is and how that we as followers of the Prince of Peace introduce shalom into the world around us. We are responsible for creating moments of shalom and elevating moments of shalom in the people around us. Us. There are uh, certain situations in life, though, I just don't think that it's possible to be at peace ever. I just don't think it's possible to be at peace. At the dentist, I've never been at peace. <laughs> never once. 
In fact, my dentist, uh, every dentist that I've had has asked me this question repeatedly when I'm in the chair. And the question is, are you okay? <laughs> repeatedly. Now, does that happen to anybody else? And what I realized was, is I'm trying to exude this air of peace and calmness in this chair. But seriously, every muscle is tensed because I'm ready for the drill to hit a nerve in my tooth. I'm just completely tensed the whole time. I'm exhausted when I'm done going to the dentist because I've just been tensed up for an entire hour. Are you okay, sir? Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. This is wonderful. And I, I, I'm always going to get asked, hey, uh, so do you floss twice a day? Right? And then I'm going to say, of course I floss twice. <laughs> Last year. <laughs> I'm going uh, to get a bill that feels like it's more expensive than it should be. They're going to find cavities. I'm just, it's not, it's not a peaceful moment. And I actually think there, there's a correlation for a lot of people in their relationship with God. Where they're just, they're just never at peace. They're never, they're never calm. They're never at shalom when it comes to their connection with God, their experience with God. I mean, some people are, are like, well, why would I read my Bible all the time? It's just full of stuff that I'm not doing. I know I should do, and I'm just going to feel guilty for not doing it, but I'm probably not going to start anyway. I mean, no, I don't pray enough. I mean, yeah, and every time somebody brings it up, I feel guilty about it, but I don't wake up early enough, or I don't stay up late enough, or I just can't focus, I can't do it, I can't. So every time I think about prayer, I, I feel tense, or, uh, or going to church, or getting spiritual about our spiritual life in any way. I mean, God's just going to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong, and I know what I'm doing wrong. Why would I go to church? Why would I read my Bible? Yes, I know something's wrong. And so what happens is people often just settle in, even if they come, even if they have some sort of connection with God, they just settle into this distant, uncomfortable, tense relationship with God. It's not peace with God. It's a distance from God. And I think that characterizes a lot of people's relationship. Maybe you would put different language to it. Maybe that would be true for different reasons than what I've given you. But I think that's a reality that a lot of Christians experience. They don't have shalom with God. There's no life as it should be with God. There's no peace with God. There's distance. And it's, you know, it's kind of... It's kind of a bummer, especially around Christmas, right? Because this is the one time of the year society starts to get on board with the Jesus story. And for us to be confronted with this reality that our relationship with God is not what we want it to be. It's distant and sometimes confusing and cold and I don't know exactly what to do about it. Maybe you've even been suspicious of people who claim to have a healthy, vibrant, flourishing relationship with God. Now, I know there's some people who even feel like, even in this room, who are here today and have come week after week, who feel like they've resigned themselves to second-class Christian status, and they're always going to be on the outside looking in. And every time I talk about reading scripture, or every time I talk about praying, they're going to be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. That's not really for me. Or when we talk about this scriptural formation journal, some of you have already pre-decided that you're not going to participate because that's not your thing. Why would I read the Bible every day? It's just going to make me feel bad. And they've resigned themselves to this sense of distance with God. Now, I don't like to spoil the ending because I like people to pay attention to the entire sermon, whether you want to or not. But I'm going to spoil the ending of the sermon today because the truth is a person who feels cold, distant confusion from God and their connection with God, that is, that, that is not what God wants for you. That is not what God wants for you. That's not what you want for you. That's not what any of us want for you. 
None of us want you to feel like I'm on the outside looking in and I will never feel as connected with God with person like, like that person over there because I got some junk in my life. That is not what God wants for you. That is not the way God designed it. We're going we're gonna to see this in this text that we're going to walk through today. But I want you to know right from the outset, when we get done with this sermon, if you're not convinced that God wants closeness with you, that he wants connection with you, that he wants to know you and he wants you to know him, then something has gone wrong because that's what we've been praying for. That's what I've been praying for and that's what I want for you this morning, for you to walk out of here feeling like there is an opportunity for me to have connection and closeness with God. But first, I want to show you some pictures of some baby animals. <laughs> now, I know some of you are like, okay, I lost you there, but I'm back now. Baby animals. How many of you saw those pictures and there, even if you didn't vocalize it, there was something in your heart that went, aw, aw, cute little animals. Mm, that pig looks delicious. I'm thinking about lunch now. I think there's something in human nature that is designed by God to see some small little baby version of anything and have that response in them. Oh, I'd like to have a little pet pig. I think, or a little pet bear. I mean, look at that monkey. I mean, my goodness. If somebody was selling those on the street corner, you would buy one. I think this is true to the degree that even animals that grow up to be scary, when you see little baby versions of them, you're kind of like, aww. Yeah. Aww, little alligator, little cute little alligator. No? Cute little snake? I mean, the snake's smiling. No, you're not, you're not getting that? I mean, that's a, that's a bat in a blanket. I know, it's super cute. Or a little baby rat, you know? No, no, not gonna happen. There's just something in humans that we're okay with the baby version of something. Even sketchy looking babies bring out that desire for us to care for them, right? Like, oof, uh, I hope this is a uh, ugly duckling situation because it's the grown up versions of babies and humans that we're not excited about. This is the time of year, the world, our society, our, our globe pauses for a moment and, and begins to think about the story of Jesus. But it does seem like our society says, you know what, I can handle the baby Jesus. I'm not sure if I can handle full-size Jesus, but baby Jesus, yeah, yeah, I'll allow. And I think that's great. That's a start. That's a start. And if it sparks a little curiosity or a little interest in somebody, that's awesome. But that baby, that little nativity scene, that little tiny baby is hiding a secret. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, turn them on, scroll over there, read on the screen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And I want to talk about that little tiny baby version of Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 15. The son, the son, the baby is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and things invisible. Whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He 
is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Little tiny baby. But he contains the fullness of God. Fullness of God in an easy to carry package. Now... This is important for us to understand, for us to know, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased. My sister, who's, who's here this morning, missed her first flight and then was trying to figure out plans for the second flight. And she talked to three different customer service agents. And uh, the first one was like, well, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you bought the cheap ticket. I cannot help you. And so she goes to the next person, just tries again, and they're like, oh, you bought the cheap ticket. I can't help you. She goes to the third person and says, you bought the cheap ticket. I'm not supposed to help you. So there's like, no, not supposed to. And she's like, well, let me talk to my boss. And so she disappeared in the back. And somehow through some magic with the boss back there, the, the, the lady came back and said, we can get you on another flight. There'll just be a $50 change fee. You got it. Anything that you want. Some boss has this power to do something that we need done, to solve the problem that we need solved. Which is why people always say, let me speak to your manager. But that powerlessness and that hopelessness is a recipe for desperation. And that desperation eventually turns to apathy. And if you and I feel like we've got a spiritual problem that's too big and can't be fixed, we will get desperate. And we'll try to figure anything out that we can figure out, any solution, any medication, anything to distract us or deter us from feeling guilty about what we've done. And that guilt, that desperation will eventually turn to apathy and we'll just settle into a cold, distant relationship with God. Unless we can speak to the manager. Unless there is someone that can solve our problem. Well, well, but what's our problem? This verse goes on to remind us, Colossians 1.19. It says this, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile, good word, hold on to that, to reconcile to himself all things, huge theological truth there, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, Verse 21, once you were alienated, once you were distant, once your relationship with God was cold and confusing and distant, and you were enemies, even in your minds, I can't get close to God. There's no way he's going to want me. There's no way that he's going to let go of some of the things I've done. You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Anybody here feel like they've been a little evil this week? Yeah. I just got one hand raised. <laughs> I'll talk to your parents later. <laughs> evil behavior. That seems a little intense. Can we hit the brakes on evil behavior? Let's save words like evil for really evil things like serial killers or people that disagree with us politically. That's evil behavior, but not just the common everyday person. Imagine, uh, imagine a teacher using this language on a report card. Hey, little Johnny's really doing good at math, but uh, he's, he's had some evil behavior recently. You as a parent, what would you do? You'd be like, what? You cannot call my child evil, my sweet, poor, innocent little child. But that's what Paul does. Paul says on your report card, there's some evil behavior. Yeah, you got some good stuff going for you, but there's some evil behavior. And it's made us distant from our relationship with God. 
on a, a different trip through the airport. I was going through TSA security and there was a family behind us and in the family there was probably like a, a six or seven year old and the TSA agent said, hey, would you like a sticker to this kid? And it's like a little badge. You could be an honorary TSA member, which I know every kid aspires to be when they grow up. And so the TSA agent was like, would you like a sticker? And the kid was like, of course. You know, what kid has ever said no to a sticker? And so the TSA agent said, here you go. But he said, but there is a condition. If you accept this sticker, you have to listen to your parents and be a good boy. And you know what the kid did? He gave it right back to him. <laughs> I cannot accept those conditions for that sticker. That is not worth a sticker. I want to engage in some evil behavior on this flight. I thought that was so funny. I mean, he's just being honest, right? Yeah, we have good in us. We have good in us. But we have a little, or maybe a lot of evil behavior, too. We've thought some thoughts that weren't good. We've said some things that weren't kind. We've done some things that weren't for other people's benefit or well-being. We've been talking about how our culture will accept a definition of evil. You'll see it in the news. You'll, you'll, and people are happy to say, oh, what that person did, that racist thing was evil. That person who's on trial, what they did was evil. People are very, very happy to declare something to be evil. But because we've lost the framework to talk about sin, people have lost the ability to find redemption from evil. All you can do with someone in the news who's done something evil is get rid of them and hope that they never come back. That's all our, that's all our culture can do with evil because we've lost the language of sin. We've cut ourselves off from the only solution to evil other than just kicking everybody out. <laughs> There's no reconciliation. And Colossians 1.22 says, Now he has reconciled you. He has brought back into harmony, shalom. He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And there's a lot here I wish we could dig into, but we just don't have the time. But he has reestablished for you shalom with God. But I want you to see what it goes on to say. This is, this is mind-blowing to me. I want you to just listen. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Now listen to this. To present you holy in his sight without blemish, without blemish, and free from accusation. Several months ago, uh, I was doing my own reading, and, and, uh, and I was reading through the book of Colossians, and I was reading that, and I thought, that can't, that can't be right. I must have a bad translation, because I've read this passage before. I've preached this passage before, and I thought, what Paul is saying there can't be right. And so I actually got out other translations of Scripture to read through this, and the, the New Living Translation says, yeah, he presents you without a single fault. Without a single fault? What? I know my own faults. What are you talking about? He presents me without a single fault. The English Standard Version says, he presents you blameless. Blameless? Are you kidding me? I have got plenty of things to be blamed for. That does, that's not right at all. King James, if you like old school, says he presents you unreprovable. You cannot be reproved, right? I'm unreprovable according to God in God's sight because of Christ's death in this physical body. The New American Standard says you are beyond reproach. Now, that cannot be right. That's not right. And here's how I know it's not right. 
Here's how I know this verse is not telling us the truth. Because I have a list of accusations in my own head. It's a voice in my head that's always scrolling and it's always playing and it's ready to go. And if God can't think of any accusations for me, well, then I can provide him a list. I can be reproved. I am not above reproach. But this passage is telling me he has reconciled me by Christ's physical body through death to present me holy in his sight without blemish and me free from accusation. Are you sure? Listen to every word. But now, right now, Right now, as you sit in that uncomfortable chair wishing this sermon would get over, right now, God has presented you reconciled. Meaning whatever was broken and distant, God has mended together. He's presented you, you reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you, you, holy in his sight, without blemish. What? And free from accusation? Are, are you sure? Paul is talking to us. Paul is talking to those of us who feel inadequate, who feel distant, who feel confused, who feel like we are on the outside looking in. Paul is talking to you. Paul's talking to you. <clears throat> Did you know that? You who feel like you've got something in your past that if anybody ever knew... He's talking to you, that you are free from accusation. Why? Because somehow you're good enough? No, because of Christ, because of the, his death in this physical body. That's why. That's unbelievable. You know what? The good news of the gospel, it's not just good news, it's, it's awesome news. It's not just okay news, it's incredible news. It's not just, oh, that's nice, it's amazing news. This should be breaking news. This should be the thing that we're telling everybody. And some of you even right now are thinking, okay, Patrick, uh, all right, let's not go too far because let's talk about all the stuff that we have to do because if you're, care if you're not careful, Patrick, you're gonna give people the impression that everything that had to be done has already been done. Oh, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? If everything that needed to be accomplished had already been finished on the cross, That'd be terrible if we gave people that impression. But what about cleaning up our lives? What about letting the Holy Spirit clean up your lives? What about all the, I need to pray an hour a day. What about God allowing the Holy Spirit to come into your life and create those impulses in you that maybe you lack now? What about the distance that I feel from God? What about the Spirit of God infiltrating every corner of your life and convincing you that God truly, deeply loves you? That would be amazing. But there's got to be a catch, right? Verse 23, here's the catch. If, if, oh, okay, I knew it. I knew there was a catch. If, if you continue in your faith, what is your faith? Believing that Christ has done this for us. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from this hope. Don't move from this hope. That's all God is asking. Don't move from this idea. Don't move from this reality. That's what God is asking you. He will work out all those other details, all that junk you've got, all those things you need to change, all that stuff you need to repent of. Yes, God will work through that. Don't worry. God's not going to leave you hanging. He will deal with that. But don't move from this hope. And then he wraps up by saying, this is the gospel you have heard. That's so beautiful. See, the truth is, is you're not hearing anything new this morning. This is stuff you've already heard. But maybe today's the day where we don't come to Jesus, we come back to Jesus because of this reality. 
Maybe this is it. Maybe for you it has been 10, 20, 30 years of a cold, distant uh, relationship with God. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what you want for you. That's not what Christ's death has achieved for you. God designs some truths to unfold as we become ready for them. And I hope and pray that you are ready for this truth today.